I've asked to put back up on screen uh, just the chorus of the second uh, song we sang this morning. Because as we were being led in that, uh, I felt that that was a really powerful moment, at least for me, uh, and maybe for you as well. But I'm your beloved, you've bought me with your blood, and on your hand you've written out my name. I am your beloved, one the Father loves, mercy has defeated all my shame. My uh, good friend Lyndon Anderson says, Satan knows your name and he calls you by your sin. God knows your sin and he calls you by your... Let's try that again. <laughs> Satan knows your name and he calls you by your sin. God knows your sin and he calls you by your name. What a gift. What a gift. I want to do something a little different this morning as we come to God's Word. If you're comfortable and able to, I'm going to invite you to stand with me as we hear God's Word spoken to us. Would you do that? Let's hear the word of the Lord. One day as he was teaching, the Pharisees and teachers of the law, who had come from every village of Galilee and from Judea and Jerusalem, were sitting there. And the power of the Lord was present for him to heal the sick. Some men came carrying a paralytic on a mat and tried to take him into the house to lay him before Jesus. When they could not find a way to do this because of the crowd, they went up on the roof and lowered him on his mat through the tiles into the middle of the crowd, right in front of Jesus. When Jesus saw their faith, he said, friend, your sins are forgiven. The Pharisees and the teachers of the law began thinking to themselves, who is this fellow who speaks blasphemy? Who can forgive sins but God alone. Jesus knew what they were thinking and asked, why are you thinking these things in your hearts? Which is easier to say, your sins are forgiven, or to say, get up and walk? But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, he says to the paralyzed man, I tell you, get up. Take your mat and go home. Immediately he stood up in front of them, looked what he had been lying on and went, took up what he had been lying on and went home, praising God. Everyone was amazed and gave praise to God. They were filled with awe and they said, we have seen remarkable things. This is the word of God. Please be seated. Imagine that you live next door to Peter's mom. You know, Peter, the disciple who went around with Jesus, listening to his teaching and, and acting as, as one of his entourage. And you live next door to his mom, and you hear the word that Jesus is coming to her house. This Jesus who had been building up a reputation of being a great teacher. 
this Jesus who had become known as someone who saw healings take place whenever crowds gathered around him. This Jesus who people were excited to see and to hear. And you anticipated that there would be a great crowd coming from all over the area to hear Jesus speak. And with that, it brings a bit of excitement. But then you also hear that the Pharisees are coming. Other scholars of the law, of of Scripture, they're going to come because there's beginning to be a tension between Jesus and the established church. And so that night when you go to bed, you toss and turn because you're excited, but you're concerned. I mean, there have been other people who claim to be great teachers and great leaders, and it's led to be rebellion. It's led to dissension. It's led to chaos. And you're concerned about your home, concerned about your family. You're concerned about what might take place that is beyond your control. And so when you wake the next morning, you're a little unsure of what's to come. You look out and you can see the crowds starting to gather early on that day. Over in this corner, there are friends and family who are gathering to catch up, to tell stories of babies born, of new jobs, of new opportunities. Over on this side, though, there's this tight-knit group of very uptight religious folks. You can tell by their ceremonial robes. And in their conversation, it's not as joyful, it's animated, but it's not happy as they discuss very intently amongst themselves. And so throughout the morning, the crowd continues to grow and to gather to the point where you begin to think, where are they going to put everybody? But when Jesus finally shows up, the homeowner, Peter's mom, allows everybody to come into the court. And Jesus goes and he's standing underneath a a bit of a a portico or a a bit of a patio. And he's in the shade away from the sun. And just as he begins to teach, in the very back corner, you begin to see a commotion. And you kind of wonder what's taking place. What's going on? And you begin to see that there are four friends carrying a fifth on a makeshift stretcher. It looks like they've just grabbed a mat from the home. And each of them is holding a corner as they struggle to get through and to try to get in. Now, you don't have a great view, and so what you do is you begin to figure that you want to go up to your patio balcony, your rooftop patio, and you go up the staircase and you get out there to be able to look down. And this group of people who have come carrying their friend on the stretcher They try to push, and you can see them struggling, and they get through the back of the crowd, but they realize there's no way they're going to get to the front. And so they decide there's got to be a better way. And you see them go up the staircase to the patio of the house where Jesus is speaking. And then you see them get down, and they start to take the tiles off of the roof. And they've got a hole open big enough now that they're able to take the body and they've brought ropes and they're lowering the body down in front of Jesus. And you're looking and you're wondering, what happens now? See, 
Jesus has stopped as he's watched the body coming down to the floor. And Jesus has moved. And it's clear that he sees what has gone on with all that the friends have done to get this individual here, all that this individual has endured, that this is a big deal and that they trust Jesus. You wonder, did he break a leg? And you realize that he can't walk. You realize that he's paralyzed. And as Jesus looks upon him, he's moved in compassion. And he says this. He says, friend, your sins are forgiven. Friends, your sins are forgiven. And when he says that, there's a tension that goes through the crowd. You see the heads of the Pharisees snap up, and their eyes go large, because what Jesus has just said is a punishable offense. It's blasphemy. What Jesus has just said equates him with God the Creator. What Jesus has just said pits him saying, I am God's representative here. I have authority. And the Pharisees are starting to think, and you can see it on their faces, their looks contort, and they say, who is this person to forgive sins? Who is this man who speaks blasphemy? And Jesus, seeing their body language and knowing what's in their heart, knowing what they're thinking in their minds, turns to them and he says, what's easier, to say that your sins are forgiven or to get up and walk? I'm sure Jesus gave pause for them to give an answer. But instead of getting an answer, all he gets is red faces staring back at him. No response. So Jesus says and looks at them, so that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He turns to the paralytic on the ground. I tell you, get up. I tell you, take up your mat. I'm telling you to get up and to go. you imagine being in the crowd that day? Would you be holding your breath? Would you be trying to peer around people or to jump up to be able to see what was going to happen? Could this be true? Could this man named Jesus, who claims to be uh, the Son of God, could he actually be and have the power to raise someone up who has been paralyzed? As we hold our breath, he got up. The man jumps up, he rolls up his mat, and he walks away. The man who was carried in on a mat carries his mat out. The man who was let down is lifted up. And scripture tells us what they saw that day amazed them. And as a result, they praised God. When I come to this passage, there's so much going on. It's like a rock being dropped in the ocean and ripples coming out. But that rock being dropped centers on what Jesus engages with the Pharisees and how he engages with the man on the mat. Jesus claims to be able to forgive sin 
He takes on the moniker of the Son of Man. He really is declaring that he is Messiah, the promised one, the waited one, God's representative here on earth, and he would go further even to say that he is God's son. He's more than a good moral teacher. The weight of this passage reminds us that Jesus was not just a good man who did good things for people, but that he is the son of God. He demonstrates in his authority over the natural world. He, dis he displays a supernatural ability to understand, to see, and to heal. He's more than just a healer. He's more than just a conjurer of potions or a master of trickery. He is authentic authority. He is God. We live in a world today where people will tell you that there are many ways to enlighten ourselves. There are many ways to advance ourselves spiritually and emotionally. And for many in our culture, they may not disregard Jesus completely, but they certainly delude his authority. We live in a culture where people will say, all roads lead to God. Jesus is but one of many along the way. I would suggest to you today that this passage of Scripture, Jesus does not leave that as an option. C.S. Lewis who's famously, or is famous for saying that Jesus is either a liar, a lunatic, or the Lord resonates deep within this passage. You don't say the things that Jesus said without raising controversy, without putting yourself out there, without claiming something powerful, something declarative, more than being a good teacher. He claims to be a forgiver of sins. So I don't know where you're at today, but I'll tell you this, if you're wondering if God is, if Jesus is who he says he is, he is. He claims it. He not only claims it, but he backs it up. It's kind of like saying, I like ice cream. It's easy to say, isn't it? It's a lot easier to say than, hey, why don't we all go to Dairy Queen afterwards? John's buying. Jesus was either lying, or he was, as C.S. Lewis said, a lunatic, or he truly is the Lord. And in this moment, in that relationship that we see developing on that day, Jesus declares that he is Lord and backs it up in action. The first ripple that I then see that comes out of that is that community is important on the journey. You see, if the paralyzed man had not had friends who would carry him there, he never would have got to Jesus. If the paralyzed man hadn't had family to bring him there, he would have not known forgiveness. If the paralyzed man had not had friends who, was, friends who would fight through the difficult procedure, he would never have had the experience of being healed. And I think for you and I, there's a message here that not only do we need community, we need to be community. Far too often, we as Christians give up on those who we're walking with. 
we have a conversation about faith one day, and the next day they say, well, I don't want to talk about that anymore. And we just stop talking, period. We give up. It's easy to be silent. It's easy to run away when things get hard. As I was working through this passage, there were people's faces that were coming to me. People who I'm being invited to be into relationship with, into community with, who do not know Jesus. Some of them have slipped away from following Jesus, but we're being called to be community to them. Who's in your life that God may be raising to your mind and to your heart? Someone who needs you to be their community, who needs you to be their stretcher carrier. Maybe someone who's far away from God and you know that they're seeking. Maybe it's someone who was close to God, but now they've slipped away and are hiding, avoiding. Whoever it may be, the scripture reminds us community is important on the journey. We need to friends and family to bring us to the feet of Jesus. I had parents who brought me to the feet of Jesus, and I'm so grateful for that. We need to be those who would bring our friends. We need to be their community. The next ripple out for me on this passage, though, is this. We don't always get what we want. Think about being the paralyzed guy. You have gone through an arduous journey of your friends bumping you along on a thin mattress as they wrestled around the streets to get to where the house is. And then when they get to the house, they're jostling through to get to the front and they're banging into people and, you know, sometimes you're not the first thought as they're trying to find a way to the front. And then finally, when you get lowered down in front of Jesus, what, you, what are you looking for? You're looking for healing. You're looking to be restored. You're looking to get your legs back. You're looking to be able to be healthy. And what does Jesus do? He forgives your sins. He says your sins are forgiven. And I kind of wonder if in that moment there might have been a little bit of disappointment in the man's heart. He'd come to be healed and Jesus forgives him. And I wonder if he thought for a moment, this isn't what I bargained for. This isn't what I thought I was coming for. This isn't necessarily even what I wanted. Do you ever feel that way? Do you ever feel that along your journey with God, he hasn't maybe given you what you had hoped you were coming for? Let's face it, we all come from different paths, and we arrive here at the feet of Jesus in different ways. Some of us have come seeking community because we're lonely. We're isolated. We don't have friends. We have no family in the city. Some of us have come here seeking hope because we've had nowhere else to go. We're at the end of our rope. Everything else has failed. Everything seems so dark. Some of us have come seeking comfort because we've been wounded. We've been wounded by family. We've been wounded by friends. We've been wounded by churches. We've been wounded by other Christians. 
And some of us have come seeking acceptance because in all other places, we've been met with rejection. But as we've come, all of us from our different paths and for our different reasons, we have all found the one thing that God offers through faith in his son, forgiveness. Through trust in Jesus as Lord, hope and restoration of a broken relationship with the Father. I would suggest to you that whatever we came looking for, we got far more than we bargained. And the riches of God's grace that has been thrown onto us overwhelms the needs that we once thought we needed. And I'm sure as the paralyzed man walked home that day with his friends, I have no doubt that he was ecstatic that he had his legs back. But I know that he would be overwhelmed at the new relationship that he had with the Father through the Son. And then the final ripple that comes out of this for me is that forgiveness is always accompanied by action or transformation. What I love about the engagement between Jesus and the paralyzed man is that Jesus didn't leave him paralyzed. Jesus actually says to him, get up. Get up, take up your mat and go home. Move, get going, act. When Jesus forgives us, when we come into that relationship with him, it is paired with a call of transformation. We see this throughout scripture. We see it in the woman at the well, or the woman caught in adultery. Go and sin no more, Jesus says. To the blind man that Jesus heals and restores his sight, he tells him to go and wash in the pool. And to the leper who is uh, cleansed of his visible illness, he tells to go and show. Forgiveness brings with it a call to action, a call to be transformed. A forgiveness of our sin is a call to walk a life that sees our life shaped to the character of Jesus Christ. So what's God inviting us to today? What's God inviting you to today as we go on this journey with him, as we recognize that our sins have been forgiven, as we recognize we've been restored in that relationship with the Father, Jesus desires us to move forward in our transformation, in our character fix or change. Forgiveness is that invitation for you and I to be transformed, to live out God's kingdom's values here on earth. So I don't know what you thought you were coming for today. But let me declare these things out of this scripture. Jesus is the Son of God. He invites us to walk in community for our benefit and for the benefit of others. We give far more than we ask for because of God's gracious gift into our lives. 
And as you leave today, I want you to leave with this question. What is it that God's inviting me to do today? What part of my life do I need to give over to him? Maybe I need to stop worrying. Maybe I need to forgive. Maybe I need to trust. Maybe I need to let go. Maybe I need to embrace. But wherever you're at, God invites you to come. He invites you to know the joy of being told your sins are forgiven. Let's pray. God, we are so grateful for the story of Jesus engaging with the paralyzed man. God, we are grateful for the friends who brought him to the feet of Jesus. And we're grateful for the declaration that Jesus made to the Pharisees that day. God, we are grateful for all of us who call upon the name of the Lord for salvation, that there is grace, that there is forgiveness, that there is freedom.